great for us tonight. Um, I want to thank Preacher Malcolm for, um, for calling me and asking me to fill in for him tonight. This is uh, it's a, a blessing and a pleasure to be here. Uh, for those of you that I've not had the privilege to meet yet, my name is Brother Travis Sharp and my wife April and our kids Hunter and Sarah. We are members here and we are missionaries sent out by uh, Temple Baptist Church and we are international missionaries to the homeless. And we've been working in the United States with folks who are experiencing homelessness since 19. 96 and then in 2014 we started our first international ministry in Southeast Asia in the Philippines and so that's who we are and um, and what we do and I tell you what we are as proud as we can be to have temple for our home church say amen right there uh, preacher Malcolm has been in my life since day one actually before I ever got saved, he was, I was best friends with his brother, so I knew Preacher Malcolm uh, kind of by default, and before I was ever <clears throat> even saved, he was investing in my life and praying for me, and it was his daddy, Malcolm Sr., that led me to the Lord in, in uh, August of 1994, and then it was at Pastor Malcolm's house in uh, the very next year, 1995, that I surrendered to the call to preach the gospel. And so he's had a humongous influence in my life and then my family's life uh, since before I even knew the Lord. And we came here to Temple in 2009, and God has really, really blessed our family since then and our ministry since then. And so we're proud uh, to be from right here at Temple. We don't get to be here a whole lot because our ministry keeps us busy. We live for three to six months, usually every year overseas. We have a home over there in the Philippines. We call it the Mission House. And so we have a ministry going on there. And then when we're not there, we're usually traveling around to other churches or uh, we have a, actually have a, a very great ministry to the homeless in America still that's thriving and growing. So if we're not there, then we're either preaching somewhere or doing our homeless ministry, but it's good when we can be home. Thank you, brother, for the water. Uh, tonight, I want uh, to take you uh, your attention to Acts chapter 13. And if you'll just find Acts 13, and what we're going to do uh, tonight is I'm going to use about half of the time to give a missionary update. And then the other half of the time that is allotted to me uh, to, to just bring you a challenge from Acts chapter number 13. And um, many of you that are here support our ministry and have helped our ministry. Temple uh, as, a, as, as a whole uh, supports us. Our best supporting church is, is our home church, our sending church, which is this one. And so we're very very grateful for that. And I just want to give you a short update of just a few of the things, kind of like a snapshot of some of the things that God has done in 2017 through the ministry of Unsheltered International. We've been blessed uh, in many, many ways. And basically, I just want to focus on the overseas 
portion of it and give you a little update. And, um, you know, this year we've been blessed to plant two brand new churches in the Philippines. And that was really a first for our ministry. And it really wasn't until Pastor Jeff kind of uh, helped me to see, and Pastor Malcolm, the importance of, of churches reproducing churches and planting churches that really challenged me. And so I'm really excited that this year in 2017 that God has used our ministry to partner with some wonderful church planters. And we've already got our first two, one of them off the ground and the other in the works. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a two-minute video about that. And then after this video that we took in the Philippines this year, I'm going to walk you through some other exciting things with some pictures and just give you the update. So you can go ahead and hit that video if you have it. So I'm here now with Pastor Jezer and also Brother Rafi. And uh, we're at one of the meal centers that Pastor Jezer's church does every Saturday. Brother Rafi's been doing this for a long time. And this is one of the meal centers that Unsheltered helps to sponsor. But here's the cool news. Brother Rafi is a young preacher. God's put it in his heart to start a brand new church. And so just a few kilometers from here is a place called Kanukgan. And we are helping Brother Rafi plant a brand new church. He's under the leadership of Pastor Jezer, and this is exciting. They've already started a meal center in Kanuka, and um, it's exciting to plant a brand new church. Are you excited, Brother Rafi? Uh, why is Kanuka such an important area for you? Because Kanuka is an isolated place. It's quite far from the city and from the town. That's why people there are poor. There's no church there, actually. That's why we need a church to put there, and Brother Rafi decided and prayed for it. So I hope that a church one day will be planted here in Kanuka. Amen. So we're starting by, Rafi has already for like three weeks been doing a meal center there, meeting the children, meeting the families. Pastor Jezer is mentoring him, and uh, it won't be long before the first real adult Bible study. And then soon, the brand new church will be planted. And so please pray for Brother Rafi and also, of course, Pastor Jezebel. Amen. Can you tell that the Philippines is a lot like Coleman? You hear all the chickens? It's, it's really no different. Uh, there's a rooster everywhere you go. I don't care where your bedroom window is, there will be a rooster at 4 a.m. outside of it. Uh, I was trying to talk real slow and deliberate on the video because the two guys with me, they speak English, but uh, it's, they can't understand it if I'm talking even as fast as I'm talking now. Um, so them two guys are such a blessing. That's Rafi. He's 24 years old. He's a Bible college graduate. Uh, just a great young man. We've known him for three years now, and he was ready to go out on his own and plant a brand new church, and I'm glad that God put us right there in his path to assist him. 
And I'm going to tell you how we're assisting him. There's a, another picture, that uh, this first picture that I want to show to you tonight of Brother Rafi. This village that I mentioned in the video is called Kanubgan. It's a remote mountain village. Matter of fact, it's strange, but we were the first non-Filipino people to go into this particular village, even though it's only two hours away from the place that we live in the big city of Bacolod City. But we, uh, Rafi has went there and started one of our unsheltered international meal centers. There's about 40 or 50 kids that are in this village. There's more than that, but 40 or 50 is what they gather every Sunday afternoon. And so we're providing the funding to feed these children and provide basic health care and medicine for these kids. And we're also providing the Sunday school material for Brother Rafi to teach. And so he was able to go in there and start this children's meal center and have the funding from our ministry to do that. And now, as I said in the video, that will progress to where he actually starts a Bible study with the parents of some of these children. And that's what is will progress into a local New Testament church right there in that village. And so we are excited Brother Rafi is doing a wonderful, wonderful job. You'll notice in his hand he's got some papers. That's the lesson that he was teaching on the Sunday that we visited this place. And it was the lesson about forgiveness where Jesus told, I think it was a Peter, don't quote me on that, where they were talking about how many times do I have to forgive my brother? And Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And after he taught that, the, the report that I got back was two weeks after that, some of the teachers from the local school, the elementary school, they came to the village captain and they, they wanted to know from the village captain what it was that that young uh, minister was teaching to the children. And the reason they wanted to know that is because they noticed that the behavior of a lot of the kids in, in school had completely changed. When the village captain asked, what do you mean behaviors changed? What do you mean? The teachers went on to tell them that two of the boys got into a knockdown, these are like sixth graders, got into a knockdown, drag out fight, and instead of everyone cheering them on, you know, acting like they were Manny Pacquiao or something, the, some other kids jumped in and broke them up, and then began to lecture them that you can't fight because the Bible teacher said we have to forgive even more than 70 times 7. And the teacher told the captain of this village, every village has a, uh, they call it a barangay captain or a village captain, and he's kind of in charge of everything. The teachers told that uh, barangay captain that has never happened before and they want to know what are they telling our kids that made their behavior change and that was a cool report we got back just in the in the second week of starting this bible study with these children there's another picture that i want to show you about that with every meal center that we start we always give simple first aid medicine that's pastor jezer on the right and he's given a a bag of Neosporin and Band-Aids and Peroxide and some other little things that my wife April put together and maybe Alyssa put together. And he's given it to some of the leaders in that little village. 
Well, the idea is use the first aid because a lot of these children have simple bacteria sores and all kinds of preventable problems from waterborne diseases. And we found out that simple neosporin and triple antibiotic ointment a lot of times will heal that up without even having uh, antibiotics. So he presented that to them, showed them how to use it and all that. And the very next week, the, um, the daughter of the village captain, which is a young adult, she came to her daddy, the village captain, and said, Daddy, you have to find out exactly what this magic medicine is because so many of the children have been miraculously healed of their sores. And they were just astounded. These are people that, that make 2 to $3 a day as very poor farmers. They, they don't ever have the, uh, and, and, and also they're way back in the mountain. They don't have access to medicine. And a tube of Neosporin, like a 0.5-ounce tube over there, costs 7 to $8. Whereas we can buy it for maybe $1.50 or something here. So they never get this kind of medicine. And they had never, these mothers and these adults, had never witnessed using antibiotic cream or ointment to just treat sores and things of that nature. So when they kept applying it daily and using the Band-Aids and the sores went away, they called it magic medicine. Um, they don't know. We just go get it at Dollar G. Amen. But to them, it, it's made a big difference. And so now the Barangay captain says, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but you listen to whatever that young Bible teacher tells you. And so God has, has used that to, to build a wonderful foundation in the Bible study for the adults will start any week now. And I want you to be praying that the, uh, the first church service will be very soon as God uh, permits. So we're excited about that. That's about two hours from where our mission house is in the Philippines. Now I want to show you about our second church plant that God has helped us this year. And it's one of my good friends. His name is Pastor Raul Ramada. And that's his wife right there in the middle and she is leading these children in children's songs. And you can see the cups on the little table. That's the children's cups. We serve a very delicious soup. that It's a Filipino dish. And it's like a macaroni soup or a chicken and rice soup. And so they're getting ready to serve the meal. But before that, they sang and they teach a Bible lesson. Well, this area is on the, uh, the, in a region called Mindanao the southernmost part of the Philippines. It's actually where there's a lot of terrorist activity. Maybe you saw in May of this year in a place called Marawi where ISIS-supported terrorists actually took over a town. It's about four hours from there. And so my friend Pastor Ramada has moved to that area uh, it, about four hours from Marawi in Dapitan City, and he moved there four months ago. And we helped him and provided the funding for him to go ahead and start his children's meal center. And here's the coolest thing. For about four months, they've been doing the children's meal center. And he's also, in that time, been soul winning, knocking on doors, making contacts. Well, the, the neatest thing is this. Last Sunday, they had their very 
first church service. And we have a picture of that church service for you. This is a little bitty um, place that they rented. It's probably about as big as the media room back here, maybe a tad bit bigger. They live in this house on the weekends, and then they clean up early Sunday morning and set it up for their church service. And so this is a picture last Sunday of their very first church service. Now here's what is so cool. He had already won eight people to the Lord before they ever had the first service. So he had eight brand new converts, and he was already discipling these new converts. So after, on Sunday afternoon, after their first service, guess what happened? The next picture shows us that they went out in the ocean and had baptism. Isn't that cool? And so this pastor is, he's my age, a good friend of mine, and he is a go-getter. So they had eight people to baptize on the afternoon of their very first church service. And um, I thought that was just fabulous because talk about getting results quick, amen? Well, uh, the same pastor is one who worked with us. He used to live in the city where our mission house is in the Philippines, but he, he moved 12 hours away to start this church. But I was able to take him with us a lot doing our homeless ministry there in the Philippines and teach him a lot about that. And he learned a lot about that from being involved with Unsheltered International Philippines. So he sent me this picture just three or four days ago. This is homeless children. We, they're referred to as street kids in the Philippines. And they have went ahead and started a weekly outreach to the street children that live right there in his city. So this church is, is not even a week old. They've already baptized eight new converts, and they've got this meal program going, and now they're reaching into the city to help those kids that are on the streets abandoned by their parents and basically everybody else. Tell me God isn't blessing. Amen? So we are just excited about what God is doing there. And um, so those are the two church plans. I hope you'll pray for those and pray for us as, as we try to kind of ad, ad, administrate that and help that and be a blessing to those men. There's something else I want to show you about that happened this year. We were able, by God's grace, to take a, a church building that a church had moved out of and kind of remodel it just a little bit and make it into what we call a rescue center. So now we have our very first rescue center that is for anyone who is homeless or the children living on the streets in our city. This is actually right across the street from the mission house that we uh, live in and work out of there in the Philippines. And the whole purpose of this, we wanted to make it into a shelter where we could bring the children and shelter them. However, there is a lot of red tape in doing that in, in working with the government. So we're working on that. But our Filipino staff said, hey, you know what? While we're working on all, all those processes and paperwork and everything, let's use this uh, however we can. So what they came up with was they go out into the city in the evenings on, or in the early afternoon on Fridays 
and they bring homeless men and women and families and also street children. Last Friday they had 35, and they bring these kids and adults to the rescue center. At the rescue center they can take a bath, they can get first aid and medical treatment, they can uh, have uh, a good meal, they can have a Bible lesson, all these things. They're calling the ministry TGIF because all the kids are running around waiting on Friday. So Pastor Nair said that all of them will say, thank God it's Friday, we can go to Unsheltered's place. Now here's something that's just amazing to me. Maybe you saw this on Facebook, some of you might follow us on Facebook or, or our emails. This is on the street in Bacolid City, right on a, a busy four lane. This is on the sidewalk about 9 o'clock at night. The family that's sitting on the ground is a family that lives out on the street. Now, they don't live out on the street because, um, you know, they're lazy. They don't live there because of, of typical reasons that someone might associate with a family living on the street. This family works extremely hard. It's a mom and a dad and, and three children. They collect scrap. And that's how they make their living. They, they take plastic bottles and cardboard is basically what they collect. And they have to collect that at night after businesses close and put the trash out. So they work all night long to collect that. Their actual house is a little hut that you wouldn't want your dog to stay in. It's just a little bitty, nasty, dirty place. So they sleep on the sidewalk every night and... and on this particular night, when we stopped by, I took that picture, I think, it was a six-day-old baby, girl, and her name is Laura May, at least that's the English pronunciation of it. I can't say it in Filipino how it goes, but her name's Laura May. The lady holding her is one of our Filipino staff members, our, um, we call her Lola, her name is Sister Wilma. And so we discovered this baby, and immediately we wanted to take the whole family to our rescue center because if mom and dad comes, it's no problem with the government. But they were too scared to come with us. And so we worked with them for weeks and weeks and trying our best to help them. We started by just simply providing needs for the baby and food and uh, vitamins and just whatever we could. And, and finally... After a lot of compassion and a, a, after a lot of uh, prayer, we finally got the mom and dad to bring the whole family to the rescue center. They won't come and stay the night, which is what we were desiring, so we could really help better their lives for the long term. But they began to come on the, on the TGIF night, and it's such a blessing. I have one more picture here about that. That's the baby a few weeks later, and that's my wife, April, holding her. April's sitting right over here on the second row. And um, the good news is the baby's healthy. She's uh, Mama's on vitamins. And they've already been coming to our Sunday morning church services and already received the Lord as their Savior. And so that's how we're working with these families, you know. And it, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. It, it, it's, it's Sometimes you see these situations and it just rips your heart out and you wish you could just fix it all. Now, how many of you know that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, we don't have a magic wand? But praise God, we have a loving Savior, amen? And so that's kind of how we're reaching into these families and trying our best to share the gospel with them 
and let them know that, hey, there's a Savior that literally gave his life for them. So I hope you'll pray for that rescue ministry. And uh, God is doing so good. I want to just give you a couple results from this year. We've seen 185 children and teenagers come to know the Lord as their Savior through the meal center ministry there in the Philippines. So that's a, a really, really big blessing. And then in the homeless ministry there in the Philippines, we've seen this year so far, the year's not over, so hope prayerfully there'll be more, but so far God has saved 99 souls on our street outreach ministry. Um, we have currently... In our meal center ministry, there's a little over 660 children that are enrolled in, in that ministry on a weekly basis. And so that's, all, that's actually growing, and God is blessing that in a really big, big way. And then I hadn't said nothing about our U.S.-based ministry, and I won't, but I'll just tell you this. This year, God saved 35 people through our, our resource clinic ministry. We were in six different states working with just dozens of churches, and God has just showed out and done some awesome, awesome things. And so, uh, so that's my missionary report because we, we pretty much missed Missions Month, amen. But, but praise God, we're back now. So thank you for supporting us as a church family and, and giving to the Lord, amen. Praise God, praise God. Now, with that as a launching pad, I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 13. So the one service that I did make during Missions Month is when preacher uh, Malcolm, just a few weeks ago, actually preached from right here in Acts chapter 13. And it, it, his message, like all his other ones, just blew my mind. I mean, uh, God shows him stuff. I, I don't know if the Lord's greedy or what, but uh, God gives him stuff he don't seem to give me uh, but I'm getting there amen I got a special request in with the Lord on that uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to try to um, uh, explain everything that he did because he did it thoroughly uh, but this morning and last night as I was really praying and asking God what kind of a, a challenge I could give you uh, I'm not really going to challenge you to give because our church just gave like 120,000 smackers to missions. Amen. Give God a hand for that. Uh, so, so this isn't a challenge to give. Amen. God's, uh, God's certainly blessed in that category. And I've been telling my friends everywhere, hey, y'all, look what God did through our church. Amen. And uh, so that's just special. But, but I'm going to challenge you tonight to go. And I'm going to challenge you to stay involved. And I'm going to challenge you to not quit. And I want to talk to you tonight about what it takes to take the gospel. What it takes to take the gospel. Let me read just a few verses to you out of Acts 13. The Bible says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, 
they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Let's pause just a minute and pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for the update that I was able to give. Lord, I know all of that update is, is by the grace of God. And Lord, it's every soul that was saved was the work of the Holy Spirit and not man. Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at these verses and a few more, I pray you'd open my heart and my eyes and my mind. And Lord, touch us and help us, Lord. We need you tonight. And I pray you'd encourage us around this subject. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What it takes to take the gospel. We can uh, understand from the great commission that's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, right around there, that it is the responsibility of everybody who is saved by the grace of God to be carriers of, of the gospel message. Uh, Sharing our faith is not only something that preachers do or missionaries do or church staff members do. It's not even something that, you know, the the quote-unquote cream of the crop in, in a church is supposed to do. But sharing our faith and telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, his burial, and his resurrection is really automatic with the call to salvation. Say amen if you believe that. To be saved is to be a disciple. And to be a disciple, it literally means to be a follower. And what did Jesus say? He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then Paul told Timothy in, I think it's 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, the things that you have uh, heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who may be able to teach others also. And so a Christian's life, preacher or not, missionary or not, a Christian's life should be one where we reproduce ourselves into other people. Every one of us should have a, a trail. We should have a wake in our, in, in, behind us of people who are grabbing on to hope because they heard it from our lips and they saw it in our lifestyle. But I got to tell you, that's not always easy. Amen? Sometimes it's difficult. I want you to know that every Christian can understand what it takes to take the gospel to the world by learning the three distinctives that are found in the lives of these missionaries in uh, Acts chapter 13, specifically Saul or Paul and Barnabas. Let me give you one, the first distinctive about these men. Number one, they were called. These men, Saul and Barnabas, they were called men. We find that in verse 2 and verse 3. 
a couple weeks ago when Preacher Malcolm was preaching on this. He went into great detail about how the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. And do you remember how the preacher talked about what it meant when, when he said, Separate me? How these men were kind of cut out from everyone else and assigned specifically to this uh, to this new evangelism. They were, they were cut out from everyone else and supported by the church so that they could fulfill their calling. Well, let me give you three specific things about this distinctive. According to this, their calling came from God. Their calling came from God. And Paul, later in his life, as he was writing in the pastoral epistles, when he opened up every letter, he really echoed the fact that his calling truly did come from God. For example, in 1 Timothy 1.1, here's how he introduced his letter. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. In other words, as he's opening up this letter, he said, look, I am Paul the apostle, and I am an apostle not of my own choosing, but by the commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he was saying, I'm doing this because God has called me to it. In uh, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, he went on to say, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so a real God-called person or missionary or pastor or preacher, they understand that their calling, it doesn't come from, from, from grandpa or, or, or grandma, it doesn't come from dad, it doesn't come from mom, but it's a calling that truly comes from God. Their calling came from God. And let me say this, I am preaching uh, about these missionaries being called, but I just, I have to say it again, when we get saved, we are called to share our faith. This is an example of men who were I want you to see what they were doing before God called them to be foreign missionaries. They were serving in their local church as faithful members. And we know that because the Bible says in, in verse 1 it listed who was there. In verse 2 it says, as they ministered to the Lord. In other words, Saul and Barnabas were, were probably two of the very best workers in the church at Antioch that there was hands down. And I think uh, that God probably eyed them because, number one, they were not lazy. Number two, they were working for God. And number three, God knew that he could use them for this great missionary task. So their calling came from God. But also their calling was affirmed by the church. It's amazing to me how many times that, that people want to go around the church, the, the local church, the church they're a, a member of, in order to do work for God. But these verses tell us that their calling to be missionaries was affirmed by their church. Their calling came from God. 
Make no mistake about that. But the elders of the church saw it in them and they affirmed that call and agreed to send them forth as representatives or ambassadors from their congregation. And I'm excited to be a representative of Temple Baptist Church when I go to the Philippines and and when we go to the different states that we work in. Next year we'll be in seven different states working with the homeless in the United States. And every place I go, I'm a representative of Temple Baptist Church sent out and affirmed by this congregation to do the work of God. So their calling came from God. Their calling was affirmed by the church, and their calling compelled them to go. The Bible says in verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. They departed. In other words, there came a time in their ministry when they knew that God had called them, their church had affirmed that calling, and they could not stay anymore. They had to follow God's call on their life. And they departed to the work of the Lord. And their calling compelled them to go. Someone told me one time when I was uh, a brand new and thinking maybe God wants me to be a missionary, uh, a very wise college teacher said to me, he said, Travis, The problem that bothers you the most will probably be the one that God assigns you to solve. And I began to think about that and pray about that. And it was the problem of homelessness and the issue of homelessness. And and because it bothered me so much, God used that to wrap up my calling and confirm in my life that that's the direction my ministry was to go. You know... In Acts chapter 26, later on in the Apostle Paul's ministry here, he had been arrested for the gospel, and he was standing before a king, before King Agrippa. And King Agrippa allowed him time to plead his cause. Matter of fact, King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said, Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And Paul begins to go into this, a big testimony. If it was me, I'd probably be, you know, taking my one phone call and, and calling somebody to bail me out, or I'd probably be defending uh, everything. But you know what the Apostle Paul did? He began to testify to King Agrippa. He began to tell King Agrippa his testimony. And he tells him, and he winds us up, and he says this in verse number 19. He tells how God uh, uh, saved him and all this. And then in verse 19, this is what I haven't been able to get out of my mind for three days. He said, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient. In other words, the calling that God placed on, on Paul's life was what compelled him to serve God. And he was not disobedient. I can't go on without asking this question tonight. Have you been obedient to what God has asked of you? 
Maybe it's, maybe it's witnessing to your neighbor. Maybe it's sharing Christ with a family member. Or maybe it's surrendering your life for, for full-time missionary service. The, the, the question is, can you say with the Apostle Paul, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And can I tell you this? It doesn't really happen exactly like it happened for the Apostle Paul no more because we have a completed uh, canon of Scripture. We have a more sure word of prophecy. God doesn't have to appear to us in visions like he did in the transitional book, the book of Acts. But I'm going to tell you this, if God calls you, it's a heavenly vision, amen, because it came straight from God. And the main thing to do with your calling is obey God in it. Number two, there's another distinctive. Not only were they called, and it takes a calling to take the gospel. Look, that's why lost people don't build churches. <laughs> They're not called to do that. That's why lost people aren't out, you know, uh, on the street corner handing out gospel tracts. Why would they? Why would you try to try to share something that you don't even have or believe in it for yourself? So when God calls us to himself, he calls us to share his self. Amen? So they were called. But number two, there's another distinctive. They were not only called, they were courageous. As you move through Acts 13, you find out that they had some instant success. And they had some instant difficulty. Instant success, but instant difficulty. But through all of that, these missionaries were extremely courageous. Verses 44 through 47 uh, share a little light about that. The Bible says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Watch this now. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. That means they got a lot of courage and said it was necessary that the word of God should have first have been spoken to you but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now, the, the, the theological uh, uh, depth here, or the dispensational depth, maybe you could say it like that, is that the Jews rejected their Messiah and therefore the gospel now would go from being a Jewish only thing to, a, to a, a, a all the uttermost parts of the earth thing. And preacher Malcolm covered that real good. Paul would be the apostle that would take the gospel to the Gentile world, the rest of the world, because it was rejected by God's own people. Remember John 1 12, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So this is the manifestation of that. 
But let me say two things about their courage. Number one, their courage came from the Spirit. It came from the Spirit of God working in them and through them in their missionary endeavors. And might I say, if we're going to have boldness for God, it's today, I'm talking about today in 2017, where we live, work, and play, if we're going to have boldness for, 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 for God, it's not going to be because of our education. It's not going to be because of our social status. It, all that stuff will, will fail eventually. It's going to be because we got on our knees in our prayer closet and we called out to God and the Spirit of God works through us when we're doing our best to work for God. Their courage came from the Spirit. How do I know that? Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31, right after Pentecost, they were already calling on God for His help. The Bible says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Then it goes on to say in, I think, 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Listen, if I want more courage today to share my faith, and if you want more courage today, it's going to come from one place and one place only, and that is the Spirit of God dwelling in us and working through us, and that comes when we surrender to God and yield as yielded vessels for His servants. Amen? So their courage came from the Spirit. And also their courage was for a purpose. They didn't need courage just to make it. They didn't ask for courage in order to get home safe. But as you read the story of these early church witnesses, they called on God to have courage so they could fulfill the purposes of God in their life. It was to be a witness. God had told them that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And so when they prayed for boldness and when they asked God for his help, they weren't asking God to relieve them of their persecution. They weren't asking God to save them from their trouble. They were literally asking God Give us more boldness so we can fulfill the task and the calling that you've placed on our life. Wow, what courage. But I want to tell you something. We can live like that too. We can be certain that God has saved us and God has called us. And we can ask God daily for courage even in the face of unbelievers, in the face of persecution, in the face of a growing hostility in our nation, we can pray and ask God for courage. And can I tell you this? Courage that comes to us direct from the Spirit of God can confound the wise still today. Say amen right there. God's greater. God is greater. Let me ask you this before I move on. And let me share this story with you. This year, in the Philippines, they have 
public transportation is everywhere. They have tricycles. You can give seven pesos and ride in a, a motorized tricycle. But the main form of, of transportation is what they call jeepneys. They are like jeep passenger jeeps with open sides, and um, you can fit about 19 people on there. That's what they say, but sometimes you see them with 39 people on there. It's just crazy. And, you know, you pay a few pesos, and you can go anywhere in the Philippines on these jeepneys. And the guy that I was telling you about, uh, Brother Ramada, who started the church and baptized eight people last Sunday, me and him were getting my, I have a van, we were getting my van worked on, so we had to leave it at the shop, and we had to ride the jeepney to go get parts and go downtown and all this. Well, we got on this jeepney, and uh, we get going real good. Well, he just introduces himself as evangelist Raul Ramada Jr. and starts preaching. I mean, right there, it'd be like getting on, uh, uh, going to Birmingham and getting on a, a public transportation bus and just start preaching to everybody. And I'm like, wow, man. And uh, he preaches and for seven, eight, ten minutes and in between stops. And I'm just like, wow, man, I don't think I could ever do that. Especially, I mean, it's here in the Philippines. Everything's different. They, they, they can understand me, but not always too good. Well, we did our business. We got on another Jeep to go back. And it was about a 10-minute ride. And he, you just sit wherever there's an empty spot. So he was in the front and I was in the back. And we got going good for about two or three minutes. And he got my attention. And he said, Meg, which is short for amigo, Meg, Meg, preach. Preach. <laughs> I acted like I didn't see him. I look back over, Meg, preach, they're here, they're here, there's like five people in this thing, and I'm like, my heart's pounding, and then I think, wait a minute, dummy, you're a missionary, you're supposed to live for this kind of stuff, I just said, oh, uh, and I just started talking, I don't even know what I said, because I was speaking in their language. And I don't even know what it was. You know? I'm like, uh, you know, Mayon Hapun, Lahat Nantayo, C. Travis, hello, you know? And they're all looking like, that white dude speaks our language? But it had enough redneck mixed in that they were still like, what'd he say? And I just started trying to preach to them. And for four, five, six, eight minutes, I did the best I could. But before I ever started, I was in the back of that Jeep praying, Oh, God, if you've ever been with me, be with me now. Lord, I need you, Lord. I, you know I don't know how to talk this, you know. But I'm here to tell you, once I opened my mouth, the Lord began to do the rest. And if you need courage, I promise you this. We have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if you're working for God, God, listen, he's a, he's a pretty good uh, uh, superintendent. He's a good leader. He will be there to help you do his work. Amen. How courageous are you when it comes to sharing your faith? I'm not saying go get on the bus in the morning and just start preaching. But, but I am saying when God nudges you, share with your family member that's lost. Share with your friends, your co-workers. Let me give you the last distinctive. Not only were they called and they were courageous, but they were committed. These missionaries were super 
committed. And, and God, did, God did show me a Preacher Malcolm thing on this one, amen. So I got one on him right here. This is good here. Uh, I believe God helped me on this last point. In verses 48 through 52, the missionaries, everything kind of comes to a head on this first trip. And they really meet a lot of resistance. As a matter of fact, the Bible uh, tells us, let's see, down around verse number, um, let's see, where are you at? Uh, 48, the Bible says, And when the Gentiles heard this, that is the preaching, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord is published throughout all the region. Verse 50 happens though. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and chief priests or chief men of the city and raised, what's that next word? Persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So these missionaries were committed, but their commitment was challenged. Anybody ever started a new diet? And then, like, somebody calls, they're like, hey, man, let's go eat my treat. And then you're like, ah, oh. you know, you, it's like you can't stop yourself. I've been there and done that on every diet, I guess. Every time I make a commitment, it's like it's challenged immediately. It's a law, I think. Well, the missionaries committed their service to God, and immediately their commitment was challenged. Just because the missionaries were committed... That didn't make it easy. So don't leave here tonight and think that just because you're committed to witness to five people this week, it's going to be easy. Hey, you might witness to somebody that, that just cusses you out. I've been there and done that a bunch of times. Matter of fact, just the other day in New Orleans, we were in the French Quarter. I was just, there was somebody else preaching. I was just handing out tracts. I'm like, the, I'm just trying to hand out tracts. And man... I learned some new words. Say amen. So just because you're committed doesn't mean it'll be easy. Their commitment was a challenge. But here's what I want to show you. Their commitment was a channel. Look, if you will, after they were challenged in verse 50. Verse 51 says, but they shook off the dust of their uh, feet against them. And came unto Iconium. Now watch this, verse 52. Get that one? And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So let me set the stage. They're out obeying God, preaching, trying to win people to the Lord and start new churches. And they literally get kicked out of the city. So if it had been me, I'd have probably run back and told Preacher Malcolm what them mean people did. I hope not, but, but what'd they do? Did they quit? No. Did they, did they pray for it to get easier? No. They changed their location because they were forced to, but they never changed their mission. Their location changed, but their mission never changed. And notice this. They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit after they suffered persecution. 
In other words, the persecution that they suffered became a channel for God's joy to enter their life. It became a channel. You know, you know why some of us aren't very, don't have very much joy? We, we, we've got everything we need, everything we want, and we're comforted. But suffer persecution and experience in that persecution the comfort of the Lord, and that equals filled with the Holy Ghost and with joy. Only God could do that. Only God could bring great joy and contentment even when the world you're facing hates your guts. Only God. Here's some verses for you. Acts 5, 41. The Bible says, And they departed from the presence of the council. This is after they were beaten and after they were, were rebuked. The disciples, they, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 16, 25. Remember when Paul and Silas, they were put in jail? Well, the Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Why could they do that when they were in jail? Because their persecution became a, became a channel for the joy of the Lord in their life. Even Peter echoed this in 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. You see that? Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Let me end it by saying, there may be somebody here tonight, and you know God's calling you. You feel that tug. You, you, you've known it for a while maybe, but you've not yet obeyed that call. Because you're, you're scared, you know, how will I make a living? How, what will, you know, where will God see me? All these things. Can I tell you something? If you're not obedient to God's call on your life, that channel of joy that God has waiting on you, you may never see it like you'd see it if you obeyed the calling of God. Those three distinctives. What does it take to take the gospel? It takes a calling. It takes courage, and it takes commitment. I pray that we would be committed with the charge of the gospel and find joy even when we are rejected. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the goodness of God.